when Paul writes of these things, he writes as someone who is not merely just to let the old self die of natural causes, to let it live out the course of its life and then die. No, Paul says we must take an active role in putting to death the old self, putting to death who we were so that we can become who Christ has made us to be. seeing how many people came forward. It's what the church is about. Supporting one another, lifting one another up. Because there are days, man, there are days when it just feels like we don't know where God is, we can't hear him. And then God speaks, but he speaks through his people. You ever want to hear God speak, listen to the voices of the people whom he has called. We were talking about the powers of life and death and how the Lord reigns over these things. There's nothing too great. You know, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in the empty tomb. And we believe that it is the power of God that overcomes. That overcomes even our greatest enemy. I want to ask you a question, though, in relation to this. Have you ever done something that hurt because you believed in the potential outcome? Think about that for a second. Have you ever done something that hurt because you believed in the potential outcome? I personally don't get these people, but... There are people who believe that diet and exercise is worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pastor Bob will talk a lot about going to the gym or something I'm like, that, like that, and I'm just like, man, what are you smoking? I, I lead a sedentary lifestyle, what can I say? But the truth is, I, I know that there are people who diet and exercise because they believe that their overall health will be better as a result. They believe a life without bacon in favor of broccoli is a better life. <laughs> now, I will say, in, in, in at least a more personal example for me, something that I do that hurts just about every morning is for my daughter. Every morning, she wakes up and does something. Like, I'm going to turn off the mic. She does something like this. I didn't want to do that in the mic either. But that is how she wakes us up. And it is always at the crack of dawn. Oh, my goodness. You know, though, as... As much as that hurts, and it does because I am not a morning person. I am a night owl. I stay up late. I, I, you know, when I can, I get up late. That's just the way it is. But, you know, I get up in the morning 
because I love my daughter and I'm willing to forego sleep for her sake because I know that even at her young age, she values the time spent with her dad. We do these things that hurt for the people we love, for the causes that we believe in. Such is the nature of death. I mean, if you think about it, when somebody describes the depth of their love for somebody or something, it will often equate it to, I would be willing to die for this cause. I would be willing to die for this person. The truth is that dying hurts. Putting our unhealthy lifestyle to death so that we can be healthy and full of life is a painful process. Putting to death my desire to sleep into a decent hour for the sake of a toddler who for some reason loves to wake up with the sun is a painful process. But these painful processes are a part of a larger narrative. We diet and exercise so that we can live long lives. We get up with our children, we spend time with our children, with our friends, with our family, because we believe in the potential, we believe in those relationships with those that we love. There is always that underlying purpose behind the sacrifices that we make. When speaking to the Galatian church, Paul talks about this nature, the nature of sacrifice, and he reminds them the sacrifice that it takes to follow Christ. And he uses himself as an example. If you, if you read the, the letters of Paul throughout the New Testament, death is constantly on his mind. He eventually faced it, giving his last full measure of devotion for the sake of Christ. So I want to read you a passage from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what Paul says about the nature of our sacrifice in the name of Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. The imagery that he uses here could not be more politically incorrect. In this day and age, crucifixion was not something to be emulated. It was not something to be emulated, and honestly, it wasn't really ever spoken about. When people did speak about it, they spoke about it in hushed tones. They did not want anyone to even get the inkling, the idea of crucifixion because it was so gruesome. Such is the severity of the human condition, however. And when Paul speaks about himself, the sin nature within him, the old self, he speaks about not just letting it die, but crucifying it, making an example of it, showing himself, showing the world, showing, proving, showing to God the nature of his devotion. In the Roman Empire, a little bit of history background. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. 
It was a mechanism for execution that was so torturous and so drawn out that criminals who were Roman citizens were generally not killed in such a manner unless they were guilty of high treason. There are a few things that would happen to the body over the course of crucifixion. In many cases, one would be flogged, stripped, paraded through the streets, nailed to a cross, and in nearly all cases save for Jesus, have their legs broken. Sounds simple enough, but it took many hours for that death to take place. The whole time you have the agony of physical pain, but the agony also of knowing that death is coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. All of these, these different things would result in massive trauma externally and internally, blood loss, again, externally and internally, dehydration, and eventually asphyxiation. Crucifixion was a slow, dehumanizing process, and it carried with it a stigma among the Romans and among the Jews. Among the Romans, it carried the stigma that here is a man who is worthless. Here is a man who is the baddest of the bad. With the Jews, it carried with it an extra, uh, an extra stigma. Here is a man who is under the curse of God. Ouch. It is this gruesome punishment that Jesus endured for the sake of the world, but its nature made it taboo to mention. So why would Paul use crucifixion as imagery in Galatians 2.20? In the context of this passage, Paul argues that believers must die to what they know, what tied them to the world, and commit themselves to God. And in this chapter in particular, the entirety of Galatians 2, he references the law as a great hindrance to one's relationship with God, not because the law itself is evil, but because the idolatrous commitment to it fosters a belief of being justified by works instead of by faith. Newsflash, you cannot earn the favor of God. Nothing you do, no matter how good, can earn the favor of God. On the flip side, nothing you do, no matter how bad, is beyond the capability of forgiveness that God has. I like to tell people, even Hitler could have been forgiven by God. As a result, it is the old self that damages our relationship with God, and those who unashamedly cling to it are nothing more than perpetual sinners. But if the old self is indeed so damaging, then logic dictates that it must be eliminated. It must be put to death. It must be made an example of. When Paul writes of these things, he writes as someone who is not merely just to let the old self die of natural causes. 
to let it live out the course of its life and then die. No, Paul says we must take an active role in putting to death the old self, putting to death who we were so that we can become who Christ has made us to be. But again, this is the work of Jesus. This is the work of Jesus. We need that help so that the old self must be destroyed. Just as Jesus Christ was, uh, it became sin for us. He was beaten. He was humiliated. So also must the old self, the old us, the old Ryan be beaten and humiliated and made an example of and crucified for the sake of Jesus Christ. The sin that used to be in my heart, the willingness to lie, cheat, steal, destroy, the temptations must be put to death in the name of Jesus. This does not mean we're not going to face temptation. I mean, Jesus himself faced temptation, yet he was without sin. But what it does mean is that by the power of God, we can overcome. By the power of God alone. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. See, that's, that's the truth of it all, underlying uh, beneath the surface. Sin is not just an indulgence. Sin is a yoke of slavery. It's the chains that we wear. And unfortunately, so many are unaware of it. They're unaware of the chains that they wear. But see, that which underscores a transition from the old self to the new is the change that takes place when we encounter God. Again, it's not what we do. It, what, it is what happens when we encounter God. I, I, I'm sure that, that over the course of my time here and over the course of Pastor Bob's time here, you've heard us talk about the encounter with God and how every time we meet with God, we must be different people. It is impossible to meet with God and leave his presence the same as you were when you met him, before you met him. It is impossible. When we meet with God, we must be newer people. See, by encountering God and his saving grace, Christ overcomes what identified us with sin. And then he raises up what identifies us with him. Granted, we must never think that this makes us better than the world. It's quite the opposite, actually. In our transition from death to life, we become bearers and spreaders of the life in a dead world. We shouldn't elevate ourselves up. We shouldn't cut ourselves off from the world. That is wrong. We are the bearers of the life of Christ we live in the midst of a dead world. As a result, we are the best example of Jesus that the people out there are going to see. And if that is true, well, let's go out there and show them who Jesus really is. Not who the news media tells them that he is. Not who the historians or 
the, the scientists try and tell them who he is, let's go out there and let them meet him. Let's go out there and show them who Jesus is because he lives in us and they will encounter him in us. We become those bearers and spreaders of the life of God in a dead world. Therefore, we must put to death what is earthly within us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I remember listening to a, I don't know if you've heard of, of the magician, Penn Gillette, Penn and Teller. Man, the man is an atheist. I was watching a video of his once, though. He, he did a, a YouTube video a while back, and he was talking about after his show, uh, a gentleman had, had spoken to him and talked about how much he appreciated the show and gave him a Bible. And he said he was very respectful, just let me know that he was praying for me, and he appreciated what I do. Penn went on in the video and he said, you know, I know there is no God. But he said, as I thought about what this man did, I realize his compulsion to proselytize. Proselytize meaning just witness, testify about who Jesus is. Then he went on to say this, and, and this really hit me between the eyes. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to know that they are bound for hell and say nothing? From an atheist. From, an athe from the mouth of an atheist, he's saying, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that a bus is bearing down on them and that it's going to hit them and try and, and literally avoid pushing them out of the way? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that they are going to miss out on the eternal presence of Christ and not tell them about it? Whew. wrath of God is coming upon the world. But see, our God is a God of love. God's wrath is always met with God's love. See, we frequently hear of sins like, like these, the, the ones I listed earlier, you know, the, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the passion, the evil desire, the covetousness, which is idolatry. We hear of these things listed in the Bible but they're so abstract, so abstract. How can we truly conceptualize these things? You know, I don't even know what, what evil desire and impurity and passions are. What do they look like in our lives today? I mean, if we really want to want to get technical or define them, you know, sexual immorality, impurity, and passion can manifest themselves in similar ways. Most often, in lust, in greed promiscuity, selfishness. Idolatry is a bit more subtle. Evil desire within us in any way that is not supported by the love of God or the love of neighbor. That is the idolatry. When we elevate ourselves, our own well-being above God and above our neighbors. 
Again, it all comes back to the self, the idolatry, the love of self. In truth, that is the idol of self against which our passage speaks most clearly. The sin of idolatry hides itself often in plain sight behind the desires and the hopes that we have. And it pokes and it prods and it tries to get us to elevate ourselves. And thinking about idolatry for a second, for the Jews in the time of Christ, even the temple of the Lord became an idol. The temple of the Lord was not inherently sinful. In fact, it was built as a place where the people met with God under the law of Moses. But over time, it had been corrupted. Excuse me, the people elevated their heritage and the presence of God that the temple was supposed to represent. They elevated all of that above the God himself, the God for whom those things are supposed to stand. It treated the temple as God rather than the one who was supposed to live inside. These are some of the things that cause us to resemble the world around us, whether or not that was our intention. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If we nail these things to the cross of Christ, then we know life in Him. Now, I want to stop there. We're speaking very much up here for a second. I want to come down here. I want to talk about the process. Such crucifixion is a painful process. It is going to hurt. Just like we were talking about a little while ago about diet and exercise or getting up with your children, conforming ourselves to the image of Christ, acting more, thinking more like Jesus Christ, that is going to hurt. Why? Because it is contrary to the nature with which we were born. It is contrary to who we are at our very core apart from Christ. Life in Christ begins doing the very thing that hurts for the sake of our relationship with Him. It means sacrifice, it means difficulty, and it means persecution at the hands of the world, but it also means life for us, both now and in eternity. The now part's pretty interesting, I think. We all know about heaven. We all believe in heaven, but we can live now. This life is available to us now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until heaven to live in the presence of Christ. Christ has told us, the Bible has told us, the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God, can dwell within the hearts of His people. In fact, Romans 8 goes so far, to te- so far as to tell us that unless the presence of God dwells within us, we have no part in Him. Of course, our God is not, He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't mess around. The Bible tells us if you lack the Holy Spirit, ask. That's it. Ask God, and you can receive life. In a more practical sense, this all means making a conscious effort, not only to put our behavior, our sinful behavior behind us, but our sinful ways of thinking as well. It entails a conscious effort to love God and neighbor in every circumstance. When that person cuts us off in traffic, instead of throwing a fit, we pray for him. 
when the service is particularly bad at a restaurant, instead of selfishly withholding tip, we tip generously because we want to show them the grace that Christ has showed us. This kind of love is sacrificial. It does hurt because it forces us to see people the way Jesus sees them. It forces us to bear their hurt the way Jesus bore our hurt. This is the nature of life in Christ. We put to death our old selves, and Christ raises to life within us the new self that abides in Him. See, one of my favorite aspects of the Bible, particularly in relation to uh, those who follow God, is that death is never, it, de it never stands on its own. Death is always accompanied by life. Those who are in Christ never die. without being raised to life. Say that again. We never die without hope of resurrection, both now and in the future. For those who die as children of the Lord, they are promised life abundantly in Him. Even for those who were uneducated in the law in the first century, they had a concept of the resurrection of the dead. I think of Martha, sister of Lazarus, She told Jesus, Lord, if you had come in time, my brother would not have died. You could have healed him. Jesus uses that as an example, says, your brother will live again. And she says to him, well, Jesus, yeah, I know that my brother will live on the day of resurrection. She had a concept of the day of resurrection. Jesus says, let me tell you about resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Jesus came to preach his death for the sins of the world, but he also came to preach the resurrection and the life that has already come in him. You see, this was and is the hope for all believers which is that we will put to death who we are and that we will be raised to life in Christ. See, when Paul says that he has been crucified with Christ, he indeed claims the death that Christ died, but he goes on to say that Christ lives in him. What he is saying is that it is not we who live this life. It is not we who live the Christian life. It is Jesus Christ himself, the spirit of the living God, that lives this life through us. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This resurrected life doesn't resemble the old life in any way. You know, it's sad when I hear people talk about, uh, people on the outside, people who, who are not believers talk about how the Christians, the, the church, looks every bit as much like the rest of the world or worse. It breaks my heart to think about because it's like, you know, we are supposed to be the resurrected people of God. How sad it is that people cannot pick us out of a lineup. We are supposed to be joy-filled, peace-filled, 
love-filled, hope-filled, goodness-filled, gentleness-filled, self-control-filled. That is not easy. But the truth is that following God is not easy, but it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Now, before we begin to think that, that oh, well, this is, just about, this is just a sermon about what I must do to be saved or what I must do to look like Christ, I want to stop you right there. This is not about what you can do. This is about what Christ is doing, what Christ has done. This isn't about you. This is about God. This is about Jesus. This is about the work that he has done and he can do. If we live in love of Christ, if we have truly been crucified with Christ by the help of Jesus Christ, then he will live in us and through us and will exemplify the character of Christ. The things that we do will mimic the things of Christ because he is living through us. These fruit of the Spirit that we talked about earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those, they are exemplified in the life of Jesus. And according to Paul in our passage, it is he who can live these things through us if we just ask. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. I believe that the overall point of our passage is that we belong to the Lord, and it is by his work that we are saved. It is his work that we show his love. The life that we live, then we can live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for all of us. It will indeed be he who lives through us and not we who live our own lives. What does this mean for us? I mean, can we really put to death the wicked nature within us, the sin nature in us? The short answer to the question is no. We cannot put these things to death because they are the very chains that bind us and keep us from doing so. It is only Jesus who can break these chains. It is only Jesus who can set us free. It is only by the strength of Christ that we can be crucified with him and raised to life in him. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's for you, believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ, stand firm. And if you struggle, ask for help. Unbelievers, if you don't know this grace, if you don't know this truth, there is life, there is peace in Jesus. The new life. I want to talk to believers again for a second. The new life will manifest itself in us. If it doesn't, we're not really alive. The new life will manifest itself in us. We will become the hands and feet of Christ in the world, spreading his life among the world, 
is filled with death. When the world and the people within it treat us poorly, we will respond with love. We will forgive the people who offend us. We will be gracious to the rude, the entitled, the weird, and the politically different. We will bear the scars of Christ that the world and its hurting people inflict upon us so that we can share with them the life that we have, the life that Christ so desperately desires for them. The church is meant to be the body of Christ. It is not a body of perfect people who do not struggle against sin. It is, however, a body that has been freed from its bondage, who can now live according to the character of Jesus. Where there is death for us, there will always be new life. You believe this today? All right. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this love that you give us, Lord. This opportunity to share in your suffering, to bear your scars, to minister to the people who are hurting, the rude, the weird the different. We thank you for that opportunity, Lord, and we pray, we ask now, according to the promises in your word, please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us alive again in you. Our Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and receive the benediction. In the name of Jesus Christ, be filled with his Holy Spirit. Minister to those who are hurting. Be kind and gracious to those who are in need. Preach life into a dead world. Grace and peace upon you.